Welcome to BFNC Living, sponsored by Buffalo Federation of Neighborhood Centers. BFNC Living is a weekly podcast to help you navigate life issues and to help enhance our overall quality of life. We know life has many ups and downs, but a helping hand and a listening ear can help. Each week, we will share stories about a variety of topics, feature special guests, share information and valuable resources available in our community. Please follow BFNC Living at www.bfnc.org, Facebook and LinkedIn. For this week's episode of BFNC Living, I'm your host, Stacey Ball, and today we're going to learn about Leah Angel Daniel, who is a business strategist, a global speaker, and advocate. Leah Angel serves as a champion and voice for marginalized communities and youth with an emphasis on alumni from the foster care system. Leah is the founder and CEO of Fostering Greatness, a community-based nonprofit organization that assists foster care youth, young adults, and alumni. Leah has recently published a new book entitled, I Shall Not Be Moved, and I am sure she is going to share tips on how young adults can set themselves up for success in 2023. Welcome to our show, Leah. Thank you for having me. Leah, I'm really excited that you're here, and I know you have a powerful story, but we're going to get into your background in a moment. I want to share that many are not aware at the end of 2021, New York State had over 11,000 foster homes with more than 16,000 youth in the foster care system and around 600 kids in need of adoption. In preparation from today, for today, I learned a new term, which is the forgotten population in reference to foster children. Why is that? Well, this particular population, um, they're very, very, um, disproportion within the foster care system, especially those of color, mm-hmm. black and brown children. Um, the statistical information that's out there is negative. So a lot of times they're unheard. Um, they're forgotten because people think that once they age out, once they're grown, they're on their own and they don't need to assist them and that's far from the truth. Um, a lot of these young people go through very traumatic situations, abandonment, abuse, neglect, and when they're exposed to trauma, a lot of times they may be a certain age, for instance, 16, but they may have the mindset of a nine-year-old. So mm-hmm. they still need that assistance. And so people really don't talk about it because they don't know about it unless they've had that lived experience, they've been a foster parent, or they're a bio parent that has lost their children to the system. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, foster care youth and young adults will not identify themselves because of the shame and the stigma that's associated with the term foster care. Mm-hmm. So that's why people don't know a lot about, you know, this particular system, again, unless they've been personally impacted by it. Okay. And so you alluded to some of the challenges that young uh, uh, adults face as they exit the foster care system. Can you talk more about that? Yes. So a lot of times when youth or young adults leave the foster care system or they transition out, they can transition out between the ages of 18 and 21. In some states, they have to leave when they're 18. In other states like New York State, they have the option to stay until they're 21. And so the purpose of foster care is so that they're prepared for adulthood once they transition out Mm -hmm. of the foster care system. Well, what I have learned, and even in my own personal um, experience, is that a lot of the agencies do not prepare these young people um, for a sustainable life. So once they leave foster care, they're in survival mode. And when we think of survival mode, just having the basic necessities, food, shelter, clothing, education, um, healthcare, all of these different things. And a lot of times they don't know how to navigate the system. 
So meaning where to go for resources, mm -hmm. who to call. And if they're not connected to a caring, consistent adult, they really don't have anyone else to go to in those terms either. So it's very negative. So talk to me a little bit, because you're saying something really powerful. At 18, in most systems, most states, they're required to come out of the system. So basically all of the supports and different things go away. Yes. In New York State, you're saying you have the option to stay in until you're 21. Yes. But what preparation are they giving the kids? You're saying that there's not a lot that happens with them like once they're out. but. It, I mean, is it just one day someone shows up and says, okay, you're done? Or is there some discussion with the youth before they end the program? So they have the option to engage in an independent living program. Um, we have different ones here in Western New York. So we have Home Space, which is for um, pregnant teen moms or um, teen moms that have babies already. Um, we have SILT programs, so like through Gateway Longview, where they're roommates with another young person and they're learning how to live on their own. But a lot of times within these agencies, they're very low staff. Um, they don't have all of the resources that are available, and then we have to think about the education of the social worker. Um, do they know about all these programs that are available for the young person? Sometimes a person may come into the system and then they're about to age out already, so they haven't even had the opportunity to be enrolled into certain programs. And then a lot of times, this is just about awareness and education. A lot of people don't know about a lot of things here. And then some things have discontinued and all of that. So that's why Fostering Greatness Inc. exists because we wanna be that one-stop shop that knows about all the resources, can connect these youth and young people to the resources within the community, and that we know who to connect them to so that they have just a good turnout and good outcomes. So, I'm glad you brought up fostering greatness. So um, in the work, we know why it's important. You just explained that. But why was it important to you? Thinking back, um, just when I went away to college, didn't go too far. I went to SUNY Oswego, which is near Syracuse. But I never thought I would be doing the work that I'm doing today. Um, when I grew up in the foster care system, at the age of 16, if anyone could have told me, um, Leah, you'll be working and doing this, or I would have said, absolutely not. My experience within the foster care system was negative. Um, I didn't have really good foster parents. Um, I was in diff seven different homes, and when I aged out, um, I had mentors, but I didn't want anyone to adopt me because I was just like, no, I want to be independent in the sense where I didn't want to go back into a cycle of just things where they were negative or it wasn't for me. I just never felt a part of the environments that I had to live in. And so when I uh, gained my master's degree, I ended up coming back to Buffalo and getting custody of a couple of my siblings. And so I thought that if I just provided a stable environment for my younger brothers, um, love, and just everything that they needed, that things would just be good, you know? So I experienced not only the foster care system as an alumni of the foster care system, but as a um, foster parent, kinship care. So saw a lot of gray areas, a lot of problems. Uh, one of my brothers who I had, uh, he was adopted twice and given back to the system twice. He was burned by hot water at the age of one. He had some mental health. Um, things going on where he wasn't getting the sufficient care that he needed and he was placed into um, a psychiatric center where he was molested 
And so that's how I ended up getting him in. He was legally blind. So I learned through that process how to advocate for him and the services that he needed. But also everything that had transpired in other homes was not shared with me for me to prepare. So I was this young, naive 23-year-old thinking I'm going to do all that I can do. And I'll tell you, I had him for four years and he was a teenager by this time. And I was exhausted and tired out. And all I could think of was how many other foster parents are experiencing this. What type of village, what type of support is there for them? Because see, we have more youth in care than there are foster homes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what can I do? Um, then I started working at a foster care agency and I saw how exhausted the social workers were. So we're expecting something from these workers who have just over, over exhausted themselves with their, their um, the youth that they're servicing, the families that they're servicing, being on call, you know, and wanting to help, but then forgetting about their own self-care and their own family. So I saw a cycle that was perpetuating negativity in a sense where everybody suffered. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody suffered from something. So it's like, you know, this hamster on this wheel and nobody's getting what they need. So I thought about what could I do to assist in a different way. And so as I um, went back to school for my doctoral degree and I researched just foster care youth in general, and again, it was the negative statistics. It made me depressed, like looking at everything. And then I found this group. It was foster care alumni in Washington, D.C., and these people had it going on. They were doing big things, and I'm like, no one is talking about them. No one is talking about those who are changing the narrative. I agree with you, because yeah. I know as I was preparing to talk with you today, I had never heard of a foster alumni. Mm -hmm. And I said, that is very unique. Do you know how they came about or how you can get involved with them? Yeah, so I, I kind of coined the phrase. <laughs> There was a woman who said to me one day, oh, you're a former foster care youth. And I said, no, I'm grown. <laughs> I am an alumni because foster care was a part of my life. Right. Um, but it's not fully who I am. Mm -hmm. So it's just a part of something just like you graduate from school. You went to that particular school. Um, you had a certain part of your life that it impacted, but that's not fully who you are. Right. You're an alumni. You were a part of it before. So I started coining that phrase, and especially when I was doing a lot of writing and within publications and things of that sort. And so a lot of other people was like, I like that better, or a foster care graduate, you know. Well, it's empowering. Yes. yes. It yes. really is empowering. And as I started, you know, as again, as I was preparing, I just said, that is really phenomenal. Right. You know, because then it's, it's, a, it's a select group, right? And, uh, you know, I started thinking, well, how is it that you become a part? Is it something that you opt into? How, do, how are, you know, uh, individuals that have been a part of the system, how can they engage? Yes. And it's great that you say it's national because I didn't know that. Yes. I thought it was something that was local. So this is a national organization. Mm -hmm. So it was actually through Facebook. There were a couple of um, young people who were putting together a conference in DC and I met this young lady in New York City when I went to a momentum training, so something that was for professional development. And um, she told me that they were putting together this conference. She invited me and I had never been exposed, like I said, to all of these alumni. And it's kind of like this unspoken bond that we all had. We know we all went through something. We know the system, but we didn't have to share our traumatic stories with each other. 
but we wanted to assist each other to do better and be better. And it's like, okay, I finally found my tribe. So we can understand and talk about the differences that we want to make in our communities. Because mm-hmm. some people don't want to work with alumni. Some people want to work with the youth that's already in care. Some people want to change policy. Some people want to do advocacy. So it's all about what you want to do. And so that's how Fostering Greatness was birthed. I said, well, I don't want to work within the system, but I want to get them where we see that gap, where we can change their lives right there and where it's their choice. Mm-hmm. You know, um, whether they want to go ahead and, and work with another organization and where they see people that look like them. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up in foster care and they had like small conferences and things, I never saw a black woman mm-hmm. who was successful, who had been through the foster care system. Mm-hmm. You know, I met, met David Peltzer who wrote uh, The Child Called It, but I was like, his story is extreme. That, that didn't happen to me. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't connect to anybody or anything. So I thought that success was unattainable in that sense. And the shame that comes with being in foster care. Right. You know, um, people ask me, well, what happened? What you do to, to get in foster care? What's going on with your parents? And I remember just explaining about, you know, my mom and kids teased me, mm-hmm. you know, and it was the most hurtful thing mm-hmm. that I had ever experienced because it's like, why am I being blamed for decisions that my, my parents made mm-hmm. or, you know, things that are going on in their lives? Mm-hmm. So no one ever really talked to me about that. So again, just that a shame that's associated with just being in the system. Mm-hmm. Now, Fostering Greatness, which I think is a phenomenal organization, and Thank I you. wish I had something to do with it, but it's all you. And what I, what I will say is that it has definitely gained a lot of momentum in the past several months, at yes. least from what I can see. It yes. like went from zero to 65 yes. <laughs> in, yes. in, in less than a few months. And so let's talk about that. I mean, how do you feel about this ride and where the organization is going? And the other part of the question is, is that now that you have this momentum, what is it that you desire to do, mm-hmm. you know, with the organization? So fostering greatness has evolved way bigger than what I ever it imagined it would be. Um, at first, I was like, okay, I'm just going to do programmatic things. I'm going to go to independent living programs and just present to the young people. But then when COVID happened, so many young people were contacting me. Mm. And I was taking my own money and getting them groceries, DoorDash, Uber Eats, hotel rooms. And then I was like, housing is a problem. Mm-hmm. Like a real big problem. Some of these youth couldn't get in touch with their social workers, the programs, um, they couldn't get in programs because they didn't maybe have mental health um, status that you needed in order to get in housing. Um, or if they didn't have children, like it was just so many things that they just didn't fit Mm -hmm. in that particular puzzle. And I said, a light went off and I was like, okay, housing, that's a big thing. So I just started thinking about that and working on that. And it was like every door opened up to that. So then I started learning about the vouchers that were available for foster care youth. And when they aged out up until the age of 26. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, so what does that look like? What agencies have these particular things. So I found that a lot of agencies, foster care agencies, were not educated in this. They didn't know how to utilize the vouchers. And it was like, okay, so I, I want to do something about this. And then I got into policy change. That's the area. And I know that you can't just post something on social media and think that it's going to be effective and efficient mm-hmm. in changing the things that you want. So it really has to go to, you know, the county, the city, government, all of those different things. So just learning about that. So within that, 
I found that fostering greatness served a bigger purpose. So we want to do housing and programmatic things, but also for the people who are making the decisions for this particular population to educate them on the real issues that are there so that they can make the appropriate changes for these youth and young people because some of them have no idea. Mm -hmm. So um, that's what I plan to do. I also am writing my dissertation on African-American women who identify as transformational leaders who have grown up in the foster care system and focusing on post-traumatic growth. So it goes past resilience. It's a part of resilience, but it's something where they evolve over five different areas in their life and it's continuous. And just putting that out there, because again, when you think about the foster care population, who's associating anything with leadership? Mm -hmm. Who's associating anything with success? or any like uh, turning pain into purpose. Nobody's really thinking about that, but there are so many stories of success with these youth, young adults, older people who have been in the foster care system. It's really um, an area that has not been tapped into. And so I think that's the purpose of fostering greatness. What I had was something small and now it has grown into something bigger and also doing listening sessions with um, the foster care population here. Mm -hmm. So really just seeing what their needs are and really just tapping into what we can do to assist as a community. Leah, that is amazing. So in, in the listening sessions, what has been one of the, uh, some of the most profound comments or takeaways from the listening sessions that you've done? So the far? needs for mental health resources. Okay. There are so many people suffering from mental health. Mm -hmm. And as a community of color, Again, the stigma with that is, you know, I don't want to be deemed as crazy, the coin word crazy. Um, I don't want anyone to institutionalize me. Um, what are people going to think of me? I don't want to be put on medication. You know, just all the negative things instead of the positive things of where they can regulate themselves, mm -hmm. you know, where they can have some understanding and to know that trauma does affect the brain and the growth of the brain, mm -hmm. you know, and chemical imbalances and different things like that and just really learning about different things that could have been passed on to them from, you know, their parents or um, just different things that they may have more control over than they think. So again, coining that phrase, changing the narrative of whatever they think they need to change. And then a lot of them also talked about continuous support. Mm -hmm. So once you age out of the foster care system, people think, you know, you don't need anyone. You always need somebody. And a lot of these young people come from homes where they, they're dysfunctional in a sense where they can't go back to those families, where it's not safe for them, where um, they feel they won't be accepted because they've changed or due to the lifestyle changes. You know, so they need people to depend on. And like I said, again, research suggests that if there is at least one consistent and caring adult, these young people can thrive instead of being in survival mode. That's huge. Yeah, it is. Huge to know that you have a safety net, to know that you have somebody to call, to know that you have someone to depend on. I mean, that changed my life mm -hmm. when I had some of those people. And I didn't so much focus on what my mother and father wasn't doing because I had many mothers and fathers to assist in certain areas and they served in different purposes. So. Mm -hmm. um, the burden was big as a young person, just seeing other people, like I said, with their family members. So I can only imagine what other young people are feeling, especially during the holidays, mm -hmm. you know, or when they're in college or when they need support or it's graduations or whatever it may be where they feel the void. Mm -hmm. So again, just having someone 
and all of us need somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that doesn't just go towards the foster care population. Right. But just knowing that they have someone is a huge thing for them. So what can the community do to get involved? Well, there's many things the community can do. Um, if they follow us on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, please share some of the opportunities that we have available. Share some of the posts. They can donate because these youth need things all year round. A lot of times, um, during especially the winter time, we're paying rent for young people who have just aged out. We're providing um, housing things and and shout out to Dion Williamson from Upward Design. Her staff really came through for us for our um, our holiday happiness party. So they gave a lot of house housing things, um, gift certificates and cards and toys that was very helpful. Um, mentorship. Mm-hmm. So if there's a certain area of expertise or even like being a big brother, big sister, mm-hmm. you know, um, that. And if they want to become foster parents and they can do that or do um, kinship care, which is a family member getting custody of a young person, or even, like I said, just coming and speaking to them about different professions or different things that they can do um, in life and just Mm -hmm. giving them the hope that they need in order to move forward. So those are some of the major things. Or even telling us about some of the programs that their places of employment or that they run that would be beneficial to this particular population. Aaliyah, the work that you've been doing is amazing, and I can't express enough about it. I just love the work. I love the agency that you are growing, and you know, it, it definitely is meeting a need that it, there was where there was a void. But what I also found very powerful is that you are such a young person to be doing all of this dynamic stuff, and on top of that, you are an author. Yes. You have a book, which you recently released, and I have to say that your, your book signing was absolutely gorgeous. Thank you. Couldn't stay. I was working, but it was beautiful um, from what I saw. And so the book is called I Shall Not Be Moved. Let, let's talk about that. Um, yes. uh, you know, it's curated uh, based on uh, chronicling some of your adolescence um, and complex relationships you had with your mom and your family and also talking a lot more about your path mm-hmm. um, in the foster care system. What compelled you to write this book? I have actually been working on this book for years. I had to go back to therapy because I thought that I was over some things that happened while I was in foster care, but they were very um, triggering and brought on traumatic just um, onsets that just had me in a, a deep, dark place you know, um, feelings that I hadn't felt for many years arose again. Mm -hmm. And so I stopped writing the book. And then I became a mother and I started thinking about my mother's journey when she had her children. Mm -hmm. I started thinking about some of the challenges that she may have experienced. And for those who may not know, you know, much about me, I often talk about my relationship with my mother because my mother suffered from schizophrenia. Um, She also uh, was an alcoholic and she, you know, um, was involved in drug abuse. And when I asked family members about my mom, they would always say they never thought her life would turn out like that. She was very beautiful, 
smart, intelligent, and she always said she never thought her life would turn out like this, but she didn't know how to gain control and get back mm -hmm. to where she needed to go. And so at that moment, I started understanding that my family didn't know a lot about mental health. Um, that a lot of times when we are on the outside looking in at other families, what we look at as dysfunction is really normalized behavior for them. So drug addiction in my family was normal. Mm. Um, That's a powerful revelation. Yes. And I just always wanted to be different. Mm -hmm. You know, there were people in my family who motivated me, but there were also people who talked very negative about me. Mm -hmm. And um, based on my mom, mm -hmm. you know, um, like I said, she was very beautiful, intelligent, and everything. And I tell people, just because you're intelligent doesn't make you exempt mm -hmm. from the hardships of life. Mm -hmm. So I just talk about growing up as a child and the things that I learned because I was never able to be a child. And that's very hard. Mm -hmm. um, I talk about how I raised my siblings and how I never thought I would have children because I knew of the responsibility that it took. And then I talk about how when I was pregnant with my first daughter, how we connected through utero and how I felt as a mother with my baby growing inside of me. And then it made me think about like how my mom could just not get her kids back, you know? I, that experience. Mm -hmm. And then I talked about mending the relationship with my mother and when she went to prison and how during my entire adolescence she was in prison and we wrote to each other and I visited her and I experienced a part of her that I'd never experienced before and learned her story and it made my heart soften towards her and I felt like from the beginning my mother didn't have a chance because people didn't like hold her to the point where or stop things that could happen to her in the streets mm -hmm. because it was part of her her family life you know and she just wanted to be loved like any of us she wanted to be accepted like any of us and so she did the things that she thought was acceptable to get those things but she always told me that i was going to break the generational curse within the family um so she was speaking into your life. Even she, then. she was. She mm -hmm. was speaking and she was proud, but also she was sad. She would say things like, you know, um, people would say, you know, aren't you so happy for Leah that she's done all of this and got her degrees and stuff, whatever. And she said, yeah, but she's only doing what I'm supposed, what I was supposed to do. And so part of me was, you know, challenged with that because like she's not proud of me, but she is. But then she's disappointed in herself, you know, so. Unfortunately, my mom passed in 2021, and that's what really um, pushed me to finish the book. Um, I do editing for um, a publishing company called 13th and Jones, mm -hmm. owned by an African-American woman, and it is a black-owned publishing company, and she said, we got to get this out there. And um, I just talked about just the hardships and things, but also the lessons and the blessings that came with everything else. And um, I'm a spiritual person. Um, I found Christ on my own, and I talk about that, the spirituality part, and what held me. Um, and then just about, you know, the dynamic people that showed up in my life when I truly needed what I needed, you know? And I tell people, just because I'm educated, just because I all of these, I'm not exempt from life either. And even yeah. when you age out, even when you've accomplished all these things, you still need a village. You still mm -hmm. need somebody. So just explaining that through this book and then sharing parts of me 
that I used to be ashamed of. Mm -hmm. And I just remember my younger sister saying, I wish I, I knew all of this, or I wish I knew these parts of mommy, because then my perception would have been different. Mm -hmm. And it's only something that I could write about and not really express verbally, you mm -hmm. know, and so I'm glad I did it. And it has been um, a blessing to some of my family members. Um, other ones, you know, they're like, oh, well, you look at us this way. It's what I grew up in. So it's just my perspective <laughs> of my experience. But it's a powerful perspective. Yes. And the revelations that you've even just said in yes. these few minutes mm -hmm. are, you know, they're life changing. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And this book, it helped your family, but it's going to help so many more. Absolutely. And when I've seen the posts, because I follow you on Facebook, I follow you on social media, and I've seen the posts since the book has been released, and, you know, and, and, and talking in different circles, and it really has, we have a lot more in common mm -hmm. than we all realize. Exactly. You know, and these traumas and these generational experiences are, are have been the norm for a lot of different people and families. And so for you to talk about it in such a open way, mm -hmm. you know, and in a personal way, yes. you know, that to me takes a lot of courage. And for you to do it and acknowledge all of those different things that occurred, but then yet still here you are mm -hmm. living, thriving, and helping others, and making the conscious choice to do that. Leah, that is something truly special. Not Thank everyone you. is equipped to do that. Thank you. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you just need to keep on <laughs> with what you've been doing, because it's working. And then to see, you know, your relationship with, you, you know, your, your peers, but then also with your children, with um, the community that you're trying to serve. I mean, everyone, everyone just sees the power and the light that you espouse. Thank you, I appreciate that. You know, so, you know, just, just continue on. I can't say enough about it. So, one of the things that I, I wanted to touch on, and you wrote this in the narrative on your, on your website, which I thought was powerful. Um, you talk about dispelling the myth that life happens to us. Can you just touch on that a little bit? Mm -hmm. Life happens for us. There's a lot of times when people say, um, do you look at the glass half empty or half full? And I just say, I'm glad to have the glass. <laughs> you know, um, I believe it's all about perspective or our lens and what we're exposed to. Mm -hmm. Like I said, when I grew up in foster care, hate is a strong word, but I hated mm -hmm. being in foster care. And for those who want to know more about my experience, you can buy the book, but it was not good. It was mentally, mentally exhausting. Um, and to grow up as a young person and to be told you're not going to be anything mm -hmm. for people who are supposed to be speaking life into you. Mm -hmm. I grew up being angry. I grew up just mad, like the people who are supposed to be the gatekeepers. Right. What happened, you know? And so as I grew older and as I began to surround myself with positive people who could explain more about life and who didn't judge the decisions that I made, life doesn't happen to you and it happens for you. So what is the lesson that you're getting out of the experiences that you've gone through because it's all for a purpose, whether it's for you or for somebody else. Mm -hmm. 
And that's what I think about. Life doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. So with that being said, and, and again, I, I think you've espoused this a lot during this interview, was that there have to be positive people around you. Yes. There have to be people willing to give back and mentor and yes. encourage. Yes. So um, how can people reach out to you or get in touch to get involved in that way? Yes, absolutely. I am available through my phone number, um, which is the phone number for Fostering Greatness at 716-228-3824. Also through social media, um, Leah Angel Daniel or Fostering Greatness Inc. That's I-N-C. Um, or through our website. So www.fosteringgreatnessinc.org. So those are the ways. Or if you see me in the community, Feel free to talk to me. I'm a very uh, personable person. Um, or email me at Leah, L-E-A-H, Daniel, D-A-N-I-E-L, 1982 at gmail.com. Now, I would be remiss to close out without just mentioning the, a few of, of your accomplishments. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you are truly black girl magic personified. I just <laughs> want you, you to know this. Doctoral student. Yes. And OSHI Leader of Color Fellow. Yes. A Health Foundation of Western New York and Central New York Health Fellow. Yes. Eastside Neighborhoods Cohort Member. Yes. Published author, community leader. Yes. What else? Um, I am a part of the first and foremost sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, and I am just here to um, do what needs to be done, you know. Um, Never thought, again, I would be doing the work that I'm doing. I thought I was going to be a news anchor or a field reporter out here traveling the world. No children, single. So that's not how life turned out for me. <laughs> but um, an educator, an advocate. Um, and I'm just here to do the work, you know, and see and whatever need that needs to be filled that I am able to do without mm -hmm. being harmful to myself. Yeah. And um, that's it. I'm just here to do the work. So Leah, before we close out, what would be the one thing you would want to share with the alumni Yes, that would encourage them as they're setting up into the next year? To do your best and be your best, whatever that is. If it means waking up in the morning and getting yourself dressed, if it means getting your education, if it means getting a job, if it means just making the effort that needs to be done for you, whatever that desire is for you, you have the control to be who you want to be. It doesn't matter what society says. It doesn't matter what your parents said, the teacher said, anybody. You have the control. And to whom much is given, much is required. You're going to get many blessings, but you got to look at the blessings. And then when you get them, don't just hold on to them. Share them with other people because we're all connected in some way. And somebody is waiting on you to do your best and be your best so that they can do it too. Well, all right now, family, you all heard it from Miss Leah herself. So if you want to reach out to her, you can. She's on all the social media platforms. You can find her on Facebook, LinkedIn and um, Instagram, if I'm not mistaken, and she's also shared her email address. Leah, will you share your email one more time? Yes, Leah, L-E-A-H, Daniel, D-A-N-I-E-L, 1982 at gmail.com. 
Leah, thank you so much for being a part of BFNC Living. And I know we're going to be talking again soon. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. All right, everyone. Well, we're wishing you a, a happy holiday season and a happy new year as we come on into the new year. And if you um, want to reach out again, Leah has shared her information and we'll be back again with the podcast next week. Take care, everyone.